Hi, everyone, and welcome to Things We Said Today, a bi-weekly Beatles podcast where we discuss anything and everything about the Beatles together and solo and all things Beatle-related, too. I'm Darren DeVivo from WFUV Radio in New York City. We're a non-commercial public radio station that broadcasts at 90.7 FM and 90.7 FM HD2. Now, you can listen to us anywhere on the globe by streaming us on our website, WFUV.org, or download the WFUV app. Now, joining me on Things We Said Today are Ken Michaels, longtime radio personality who has dedicated virtually his entire 40-year broadcasting career to hosting Beatles-oriented programs. And some of those years were spent behind the mic at XM Satellite Radio as well. Currently, Ken hosts uh, the Beatles radio show, Every Little Thing, and the video cast, Talk More Talk, a solo Beatles video cast. Hello to you, Ken Michaels. Hi, Darren. It's great to finally be doing this on camera. It's a first for us. Oh, I was going to surprise everyone. I'm sure they're wondering what these three orbs are floating (laughs) here. But uh, anyway, I also want to say hello to the other orb, Alan Cozen, the acclaimed writer, journalist, and music critic who spent nearly 40 years at the New York Times writing about classical music and, of course, the Beatles. And through the years, uh, you can read his work in the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, obviously. And he has numerous books, The Beatles, From the Cavern to the Rooftop, uh, Got That Something, How the Beatles, I Want to Hold Your Hand, Changed Everything, and uh, some other books as well. So, Alan, how are you? I'm good, Darren. How are you? And great cat. Not a Thank Yankee you. Cat, but, you know, it's second, second to that. Okay, that's right. <laughs> Ken and I are hardcore Met fans, and Alan does lean a little towards the Yankee way. But uh, you stay out of arguments when you take Alan's approach, um, <laughs> you know, kind of neutral. But uh, as you could see, things we said today is making, I believe it's debut as a video cast. We figured out how to turn the cameras on on our respective devices. So uh, here we are. This is what we look like. Freakish, isn't it? Uh, (laughs) But anyway, let's hand it over to Ken and uh, get things started today uh, with some news. Okay. Thank you, Darren. We'll start with the news that I'm sure everyone has heard by now that the documentary film Get Back on the Let It Be Sessions, directed by Peter Jackson, will be shown on Disney Plus as a three-part series, November 25th through the 27th, and it will be six hours long. What many fans have found upsetting is that along with that news, there is no news concerning a theatrical release. And for all this time, we've been given the date of, I believe it was August 27th. At the moment, nothing is being said for that. Obviously, when nothing is said, everyone is quick to jump on what this means. And without any confirmation so far, most fans are interpreting this as though there won't be a theatrical release. Why the change in plans is up in the air, although who knows, maybe my co-host might have some uh, inside information on this. There was an excellent article in Vanity Fair that has Peter Jackson uh, saying that initially he didn't want to make this film based on what he had already seen in the original Let It Be. He didn't want to make a film about the breakup of the band, but after watching all the footage that he was given, he was waiting for it to go bad, but he found that he was continuously laughing. 
And in 2017, Jackson said to Paul McCartney after one of his concerts in New Zealand, it's incredibly funny. It's incredibly lively. It shows you guys having a great time. And it certainly surprised him because he has never seen this stuff, even though he lived through it. It's a long time ago. And subsequent events, I think, just muddied the whole memory of this thing. End of quote. And with some concern among fans that the Beatles would be controlling the way this film would be presented, Jackson said he wasn't beholden to anyone's agenda and had control over the final cut of the documentary. He said, I have gotten no edicts. I mean, nobody from Apple, none of the Beatles have told me what to do, or none of them have said to me, don't show this, don't show that. I've been given no censorship instructions at all. I've been left completely alone. Which really interesting more. article there that was in Variety. Anything you want to comment on that, uh, guys? Yeah, um, I mean, he had much more freedom than Michael Lindsay Hogg had because uh, Michael Lindsay Hogg told me, and he's told other people too, that um, when he made his first edit, uh, the word came back to him through Peter Brown that uh, there was too much John and Yoko. Um, and uh, he, the way he describes it is kind of funny, is, you know, Peter sort of presenting it as a question like, well, do you think maybe there's too much John and Yoko? And, and Michael Lindsay Hogg is defending, you know, because some of the John and Yoko stuff was pretty funny as well. Um, and uh, I mean, it, it included that whole speech about Baden Powell. I don't know if you remember it from the uh, audio, but it's, 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 it's pretty uproarious. Mm. Um, and at the end of that, Peter uh, Brown said to him, well, let me just put it this way. I've had three phone calls this morning. <laughs> and, you know, the bottom line is too much John and Yoko. Uh -huh. and, and that also gives some weight to John's complaint that there wasn't enough of him and Yoko in the film because a lot of the John and Yoko stuff was cut out of, of uh, Michael Lindsay Hogg's first edit. So if Peter Jackson is saying that he had no pressure, mm had much more freedom than Michael Lindsay Hogg had with the original. I think that when this starts to come out, uh, when I say this, not just Peter Jackson's movie, but also if we're going to get what we think we're going to get in the form of a box set of music, uh, perhaps um, in some configuration, the original movie, uh, we'll have to watch them uh, side by side. It's been a very, very long time since I've seen Let It Be. And I would want to compare the two and, you know, pay attention to the setting, you know, because you got the, roughly the first half of it at Twickenham Studios where perhaps it was a little more dicier. Uh, mm -hmm. And then towards the end, they move into their studio, Apple Studio, and we've seen the clips. They're... Uh, mostly, if not entirely, in Apple Studios, where the atmosphere is lighter. Um, so we may be able to kind of figure out what was going on at that point We're, by comparing the two. Again, uh, assuming that we do get a new edition of Let It Be, although most of us have Let It Be, you know, in various forms. I actually was very surprised at the reaction of a lot of people. And I'm mainly a Facebook person. So the reactions that I saw were all off Facebook, that people were not happy with the idea of having to uh, 
uh, experience this movie on Disney Plus. I thought it was great. These are my personal reasons. Number one, I mean, with the pandemic, I'm pretty certain that I'm not going to want to sit in a movie theater even this fall. I'm uncomfortable with being inside right now. And to sit in a movie theater for a lengthy period of time is not something I want to do, um, especially if we get uh, a six-hour film and I'm not willing to sacrifice any of those hours just to, for the sake of saying that I spent $25 for popcorn to watch this in the theater. So you could cut out three hours. No, I want all six hours in the comfort of my own home. I mean, I already subscribe to Disney Plus. I don't think getting a subscription to it's that big of a deal. You could cancel it if it is a big deal after the fact. Um, right. It's a pretty cool channel anyway. We watch it every so often. And it, it immediately brought back memories of Thanksgiving week 1995, right? When the Beatles anthology was broadcast on ABC over three nights, uh, two hours per night. And right. uh, that was a special week that I always talk about and uh, think about. And uh, I look forward to doing it again this year with uh, Get Back. Well, I tell you, you both brought up uh, some great points here. Um, as far as the film is concerned, I hope that there's a balance between what went down in Twickenham and Apple. And like you said, Darren, I'm sure the atmosphere was very different at Apple, especially once Billy Preston came on board. Mm -hmm. So, um, so much of what you're seeing now, especially in the trailer, having fun, you know, that's, that's gotta be from the Apple period, right? Mm -hmm. I'm assuming it would be the same camera crew that, uh, that that shot the footage throughout the entire month, regardless of where, mm. right. you know, yeah. maybe, maybe less equipment, less cameramen at Apple may have played into it a little bit. Yeah. If they started out in a film studio, they probably had uh, a massive amount of cameramen and uh, uh, floating around, but yeah. not that the cameramen float around, but the cameras, you know. But, you know, I see the pros and cons of this whole thing with Disney Plus. And I am kind of disappointed. I do want to see it in the movie theater on the big screen. And I always think about, you know, a parent taking his kids to see something like this. And maybe, you know, if the kid has some interest in the Beatles, it'll ignite even more. It's so much more impressive to see on the big screen. And also the audio is going to be bigger and louder, uh, you know, in a theater as well. And um, you were just talking about the Beatles anthology. One good thing about the Beatles anthology is that it was broadcast on ABC, where everybody could see it on network television. This you have to pay for. It's cable TV. Although, as someone who's always concerned about the Beatles reaching a younger audience, this is Disney we're talking about. So their programming is always catered to a younger audience and kids. So I'm glad about that. I'm certainly glad that we're getting six hours. And I would also think that once it does come out on DVD and Blu-ray, we'll probably get more than those six hours anyway. But then this also begs the question, will this delay the box set because it's being shown in November? I automatically thought, hey, it's perfect for Christmas. <laughs> it is at the perfect time to get the box set, DVD or Blu-ray. But I don't know if Disney will interfere in that. If they just have exclusive rights for a few months and nothing can come out, I don't know all that information. So have you heard anything about that, Alan? No. If this might interfere with the box set? Uh, no, I haven't. And, you know, no one's really talked about 
the box set or the, or the audio part, uh, anything like that. So, so we don't really know, but it, you know, it's possible that Disney will have an exclusive um, period of, of, of at least a few months. Um, yeah, I've been, you know, like Darren, I, I've been really surprised at the reaction because um, to me, it's kind of a no brainer. We're talking about maybe a two hour film in the theater or six hours. Okay, I'll take the six hours. I have a big TV. I don't know how big I need to see it. Mm. Um, and, um, you know, if Darren, you want to come over, popcorn is <laughs> a lot less expensive at my house. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I and I, I, I feel the same way as Darren about the, um, you know, the pandemic stuff. And, you know, plus, uh, you know, I'm in, in Portland, Maine, and the movie theaters aren't bad here, but it's not like, you know, I'd be going to the Zigfield in New York or something like that and, and, and seeing it. So um, the experience of seeing it in the theater to me is not such a big deal. Uh, I, know, I know what you're saying, Ken, about, you know, families bringing their kids and all that. Um, if that happens anymore I don't, and, and would happen for this film, I don't know. Mm. Um, you know, it's very possible that they could make a two hour edit to show in the theaters, but it, it, it'd be kind of like the tail wagging the dog. You know, the whole thing is six hours. Plus, we're hoping, uh, you know, if they follow the anthology model. Um, the anthology was like six hours on TV and something like 10 hours on, on uh, DVD. Right. Um, so I'd like to see that. I'd like to see more hours because also they're talking about, you know, in, in that Vanity Fair piece, uh, I think Peter Jackson was saying, you know, there's no narration. There are no interviews. This is just footage. And yeah, great. You know, let's see all 55 hours as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> Yeah. Well, yeah, everybody's got a different opinion about this, but as long as it comes out and there's so much stuff we've never seen before, I'm happy. I'm happy either way. All right. Some more news here. Artist, producer, songwriter Mark Ronson is about to premiere a new docuseries on Apple TV called Watch the Sound with Mick Ronson. A new trailer for the series has Paul McCartney in it, and he will be among the guests in this series, as will Sean Lennon, plus Dave Grohl, Questlove, and others. It's a six-part series that will examine sound creation and revolutionary technology that has shaped music as we know it. Each episode follows Ronson as he uncovers untold stories of music creation and explores the lengths that producers and creators will go uh, in order to find the perfect sound. The end of each episode features Ronson creating a unique piece of original music using different techniques like reverb, synth, auto-tune, drum machine, sampling, and distortion. The series will start on July 30th, and Ronson, as we know, worked with Paul McCartney as one of several producers for his album, New. Special thanks to one of our listeners, viewers, uh, Rob Nataro for this information. A brand new book is coming out called The Genius of Paul McCartney by Dave Kelly. It's due out the end of August. The new interview with Dave can be found on Plastic EP's show. And the way Dave describes it, it's about the type of songwriter and artist Paul is, and that he never sticks to one formula for writing. And Dave has devised 58 different templates for how Paul's songs are constructed. It's meant to be a learning tool for new and upcoming songwriters on how to do it 
like Paul has. And uh, we'll have more on this book as it comes out. A reminder that the new six-part documentary with Paul McCartney and Rick Rubin, exploring Paul's work throughout his entire career called McCartney 321, will premiere on July 16th. That's on the Hulu channel. And another sign that things are coming back to normal. Cirque du Soleil is excited to announce that their, their show set to Beatle music, Love, will be returning to the Mirage Hotel and Casino in Las Vegas starting August 26th. Check out their website as they start to add dates for the show at CirqueDuSoleil.com slash Beatles hyphen love. On our last show, I announced that Peter Asher will be returning to the concert stage touring in July and August with guitar great Albert Lee, plus uh, uh, Kate Taylor, the sister of James Taylor, and bass guitar great Leland Sklar. Since then, I've learned of a new show announced for September 18th as part of a 60s spectacular, and Peter will be performing for that show with Jeremy Clyde of Chad and Jeremy. Also on the bill will be the Yardbirds and Big Brother and the Holding Company. Look for a list of Peter's concert dates at his website, PeterAndGordonTheSingles.com. Google has a new TV commercial in which they are using the song We Can Work It Out. Not the Beatles version, but Stevie Wonder's version. And one of my primary sources for news, the most accurate news there is on the planet, comes from our own Darren DeVivo. And um, he has informed me, I'm trying to get your work here uh, <laughs> as a newscaster. He's told me that uh, Robbie McIntosh has just released a new album called SeaWorld. It is self-released and contains 11 new songs. The strange thing is, it's not even mentioned on Robbie's own website. Darren here has bought the album, he told me, through Bandcamp. And I did check and Amazon has it listed for download only. Okay. No CD or vinyl. Yeah, have you, you could get. Have no, I have. I haven't had a chance. It's been, it's been a busy couple of weeks. But uh, I did. As soon as I saw it, I ordered it, and uh, hope to soon crack the plastic. Uh, the physical CD, it's a rather modest package. You know, one of those very thin uh, cardboard sleeves um, that uh, doesn't. I don't think have anything on the spine or anything like that. But uh, uh, I much prefer that to having download so went with that and mm. uh uh i sampled it like what i heard it was you know he's one of these guys that if you heard his music it's he doesn't reinvent the wheel but it you know everything he's put out has been fairly enjoyable and he's a heck of a guitar player and definitely you know i love his guitar work and what he brought to paul's music and and uh the 93 tour in particular mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah so through Bandcamp, you got it on CD, but Amazon so far, it's just a download. All right. One of our listeners, Bruce Bernstein, says that after 33 years, there is finally an official release of both the Beatles medley with Jimmy Swaggart style lyrics. And I am the walrus <laughs> from Frank Zappa on the newly released album Zappa 88. Uh, Zappa 88, the last U.S. show which was recorded on March 25th, 1988 at the Nassau Coliseum. Either of you heard this at all? Not yet. I haven't. But no. I... Oh, you do. You have to give us a full report on the next show then. 
A reminder that the Fab Four Music Festival will be happening on July the 10th at Nolan Field in Ansonia, Connecticut. It's 10 Beatles tribute bands uh, performing the entire day. There'll be a uh, scheduled special guest being Brute Force. He should have worked with Frank Zappa. He's the I will king be of fun. Of, what's that? He's the king of fun. <laughs> he definitely is. And uh, I will be one of the MCs for that event. It runs from noon to 8 p.m. And will also include Beatles memorabilia, guest authors, area vendors and artisans, and food trucks with a wide variety of food options. For more information, visit fab4musicfestival.com, the four being the number four. Another Beatles music festival will take place the same weekend, July 9th through the 11th, called Fab Fest happening in Charlotte, North Carolina. Special guests that weekend will be Joey Molland, The Fab Four, Robert Rodriguez, Bruce Spizer, and music from Wonderwall, The Tribute, Forever Abbey Road, and much more. There'll be games, video presentations, and fun for Beatle fans of all ages. For more information, you can go to fabfestcharlotte.org. And I have one last news item here. Remember 2019, there was a 50th anniversary salute to the White Album Tour. It was one year too late, however, but it was a great show. And it included guests, uh, guest musicians, Christopher Cross, Joey Mollen, Todd Rundgren, Mickey Dolenz, and Jason Sheff from the band Chicago. The show was part songs from the White Album and part the hits of those artists. Well, that tour is back in full swing only with a few changes in the lineup. Remaining will be Christopher Cross, Joey Molland, and Jason Sheff. Joining the band will be Jay DeMarcus of Rascal Flats and Dean Castronovo, formerly of Journey. So far, they'll be playing at the Wilbur Theater in Boston, September 9th, and the Oakdale Theater in Wallingford, Connecticut on September the 10th, but I'm sure there will be more dates coming. Just have to look up online. It was 50 years ago today. The White Album Tribute. All right. That's it for news. That was outstanding. Folks, let's hear it for Ken. Is that Emmy Award winning? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Golden Glob Award winning. (laughs) Thank you. I'll take it. Well, um, Ken alluded to um, a Let It Be box set. I did too. Uh, Get Back box set, whatever you want to call it. We decided... Uh, that we wanted to dedicate a show to the box set. And what gave us this idea was the announcement recently of uh, George Harrison's All Things Must Pass box. Um, Many different configurations, each one bigger, as is the case these days, each one bigger than the one before, leading up to arguably, I think it's safe to say, perhaps the biggest slash most expensive box that we've seen yet the uh, approximately $1,000 Uber All Things Must Pass box set, which I can now say that I did order. Um, And that's why tonight we're having saltines for dinner. (laughs) But uh, I did, in fact, get uh, order the the All Things Must Pass box, uh, the big one. And I know I'm leaving myself open to a lot of comments and criticisms, as well as uh, applause for that. I know, Alan, you got it as well, did you not? Or Cam did I did order it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I know of actually, I think, four people yeah. that have that have bought it. I personally know, maybe a fifth. But uh, but anyway, that, you know, uh, um, 
that make that got us to thinking about maybe we should do a show on the box set. Um, uh, they, have they gone too far? Can they go further? Should they go further? What our thoughts are, and therefore, and uh, so on and so forth. So um, I guess this is a you can take the discussion any way you want. And uh, Ken, we'll start with you. If I don't know if you want to start in a particular location, maybe with old things must pass or some you know, other area, any thoughts about box sets, purchasing them, their cost, et cetera? Well, I've enjoyed the whole experience of all of them. And as someone who is not so wrapped up in collectibles as many of my friends are, I don't care about getting the most expensive uh, version of every single box. With me, it's always been about the music first and having everything, everything that's being released. If there's something I haven't heard already, audio-wise or seen video-wise, that's what matters the most to me. So I often go for something that's mid-level range. In the case of uh, All Things Must Pass, I'm getting the um, 5CD Blu-ray audio one. That's 150 bucks. And, you know, in, in most cases, I don't complain about the prices. I think it's all, you know, as George Harrison said, it's what you value. <laughs> you know, um, you buy what you think is suitable for yourself. You know, um, I can understand some fans thinking it's taking advantage of the collector. But, you know, collectors know that a lot of this stuff is going to be so much more valuable later on if they're factoring that into why they're going to buy it, if maybe they're going to sell it in the future, you know, and have some big windfall from all this or whether they just want to keep it all. Um, I've never been someone into memorabilia and collectors. I just care about having all the music. So for me, I've enjoyed all these box sets, all the McCartney ones. I mean, we can give grades to every single box set and they're all going to vary. Some of the stuff that McCartney's done through the years, I think has been really great. Some of it, I'm very disappointed as far as bonus material, which is what matters the most to me. But I know that uh, when we first started talking about this as an idea, Alan had suggested we start with the Beatles anthology because okay. we did have three double CDs that came out. And I love talking about the contents of what has been put out on all these box sets. So I think we probably should, should start there. Yeah. That's, know, that's Alan, right. you want to, if you want to take the ball here and run with it. <laughs> what I was thinking when I mentioned that is, is in, in a certain way, the sort of, you know, philosophy of presenting uh, unreleased Beatles stuff in the box sets in the archivals they, um, has changed. I mean, with, anthology uh, it was just the three double cds um you know pretty uh, no frills you know i mean it had a, a nice booklet with notes by mark lewison about exactly what was going on in each track um and apart from the no frills aspect that's another thing that has changed because one of the things that those notes describe is that you know well they um you know took take three but flew in the guitar solo from take seven you know, and that um, is being done a lot less now. I think, uh, you know, with the recent Beatles ones with, you know, Pepper Abbey Road and the White Album, the outtakes that we've gotten have been more, uh, you know, pure, let's say. I mean, nothing flown in from other, you know, uh, uh, takes and that kind of thing, or where it's happened, it's been very minimal, I, I, you know, and that's a, that's a definite sort of philosophical shift there, you know, it's gone from, we want to make 
even if we're giving you something that we didn't release because we felt that the stuff we did release was better, we're showing you, you know, uh, sort of an idealized version of what some of the other takes are. And now they're just saying, okay, let's just pick the best of the other takes, not idealize it, just show it as what it was. And I think that that, you know, for someone like me, that's what I want. You know, I want to see how the thing developed, not how an idealization of how it developed. I want to see what the outtakes are and how it changed between that and the finished version. Um, so that was, that was why I thought starting with the anthology because it's so different now than it was in 1995 when those were coming out and those were really the first things that we were getting. I mean, there was the theoretical, well, more than theoretical, there were sessions before it, but they never put it out, you know? Um, I think we've all heard at least two edits of that album and they were messing with it in the way that they did with the anthology, you know, the looped ending, uh, uh, well, loop ending of uh, Besame Mucho for one thing. I mean, the actual take comes to a hard end, you know, you know, cha-cha booch. Mm -hmm. um, but they sort of looped it out and, and they did some editing in how do you do it. And, you know, that was one of those things where we've all had the take of how do you do it since at least the mid seventies, you know? So we know how it goes. We know how it was edited. And suddenly there's this new version that's got a completely different edit of, you know, particularly the ending. Um, and I I think uh, they've sort of realized that maybe for archival material, that's not the best way to go. And so it's, it's all moved in a different direction, you know, but then, you know, also I mean, we'll just, we'll get into these details as, as we go along, but you know, you go from that, the two spare, three spare box sets, of, you know, two disc sets for anthology all the way through Paul McCartney's more, you know, definitely fancier box sets and the extra things like Egypt Station bag and, you know, suitcase. Um, mm -hmm. And now George's, uh, you know, wooden box. And uh, it's, uh, it, it, it's all quite different. It's much, it's much fancier now. And um, there are things that go hand in hand, apparently, with the idea of presenting the music more faithfully. They're also making it a more of a marketable thing or collectible thing, whatever, which is like, so we've got several different shows going on here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those yes. are good, good points about the anthology. And, and before the three anthology albums came out, we didn't have anything like that. Uh, 20 Greatest Hits, Real Music, those were the, dare I say, box sets for Beatles fans. And then anthology was a revelation. And now we look back and it's, uh, oh, that was, you know, that was small potatoes compared to the way things are now. Some of the things I didn't like about the anthology, especially anthology one, was the way it was structured. It was almost as if it was uh, put together like it was to be a, 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 an audio drama, you know, where there's were, there were interview segments, there were uh, uh you talk over segues like it was a radio broadcast. You weren't getting the full version of um, um, filling the searching. Blind. Thank you. Yeah, any talk of those early yeah. tracks? Yeah. yeah, you didn't. You know, they came with talk over segues and all of that to 
make it a nice listening experience. But I remember being very disappointed about that, just wanting a clean, legit uh, version of, um, um, uh, again, help me out here. My brain's Deca, broken. DECA stuff? Or... Yeah, 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 that stuff. Uh, and then, like Alan said, as we went through one, and especially with volume two and three, they were creating these takes. Oh, this is what Seven's guitar solo sounded like. We put it on top of take 15 and then gave you the conclusion of the version you know. That was nice and all, but it felt a little revisionist. It felt, it felt uh, tampered with. Now, like Alan said, you're getting the organic hmm. takes. Uh, as a result of that, you're getting bigger sets, more expensive sets. And um, I think back to how uh, I think two of the earliest box sets I ever bought are two of the probably the, two of the groundbreaking box sets, I think, if memory serves correct, was Bob Dylan's biograph. And um, uh, not long after that was the Eric Clapton box set Crossroads. And in there was that live album from Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band, which was a uh, um, Really, it was a box set uh, packaged as a box set, but it was just a really mega live album. Those will seem to be the ones that, uh, there go my notes. Uh, those seem to be the ones that uh, set the standard for box sets. And we look at how Biograph was packaged for individual or, or Crossroads for CDs in a bulky 12 by 12 box with a decent but not overwhelmingly informative book. And now here we are with the uh, mega sets, which are all being are all being created to get us to buy physical product in the age of uh, digital. You know, something I just wanted to chime in on, on here is um, when it com comes to the anthology box sets, one of the major complaints was what we have commonly called Frankensteining different versions mm. of Beatles songs and editing them together. And yeah, I prefer to have just the pure takes myself, but then the Beatles did that when they were together. I mean, Strawberry Fields Forever was Frankenstein. It was two different takes that were edited together. So it, it doesn't really bother me as much. What does bother me, there's only a few instances which um, I could point out. Uh, yes, it is where you, there was a different take, but then they just segged it right into the released version of Yes, It Is. I would mm. much rather have heard the song break down. You know, that's how i feel same thing with um good night the piano version uh the simple version of good night going into the release version that was on on the white album that i didn't really care for but the other cases of frankensteining it didn't bother me as much i think for a starting point the anthology is great it's mm -hmm. a lot of worthwhile material on there it does kind of um the the early part in volume one where they're just giving you a few tracks from everything. Here's a few deck audition recordings. Here's a few songs from Tony Sheridan. Here's a few songs from the Quarrymen rehearsal of 1960. You want the whole thing. How do they even, you know, cherry pick which ones to put in there to begin with. But that, that kind of bothers me. I, I wish that would lead to full complete commercially released versions and the best sound quality of all of those. Although Tony Sheridan stuff's been around forever, Decca as well, but 
in the best sound quality that you want. But still, for its time, I think the anthology releases were great. Mm. So much stuff in there I never heard before. The anthology releases were in a way similar to Biograph uh, in terms of the philosophical shift I'm talking about, because, you know, Biograph, like the anthology releases, was, uh, okay, let's just go through Dylan's whole career and give you a bunch of outtakes and other things um, as a, you know, a, a huge multi-disc sampler in a way. Mm. Um, if you look at the uh, bootleg series of Dylan's now, which, which Biograph basically started, I think it, it didn't count as a, did that count as volumes one to three or was that? Something? No, no, the, the first Biograph, I came out in like the mid eighties. And then in 91, I think they put out uh, the bootleg series volumes one, two, and three as one set. And that was similar in the sense that it covered many periods. Yeah. Whereas now he's putting out things that are like, you know, okay, all the outtakes from 1965, you know, or all the outtakes from the, uh, you know, self-portrait kind of period. Um, now they're much more, you know, serious archival releases. And, and that's what the Beatles are doing too. I, I think the record industry in, in a way was kind of feeling its way into how to release archival stuff. You know, is it too much? Is it too nerdy to just take, you know, one period and really focus on it? And they've decided that it's not, which, you know, any actual collector could have told them on day one. But um, they're not actual collectors, I don't think. I think they're, they're corporate executives, fundamentally. Um, but, you know, they've, they've found their way to, I think, the right place now. Um, and, but yet, even so, within the Beatles, just the Beatles, you know, area itself, there's a lot of variation for, you know, what each Beatle or their families have done uh, archivally. And uh, I, I, I think George is just getting started now. I mean, there was the early takes disc, uh, but, but this uh, All Things Must Pass is a really serious look at that album. It's interesting that the size of the big Uber box of All Things Must Pass coming out of George's camp is interesting because it was like went from zero to 60 in no time. You went from getting early takes volume one and I think I mentioned this on a show uh, maybe last year that when the second time I interviewed Danny Harrison, when he was at WFUV promoting his recent solo album a few years back, he kind of gave me the impression that there was not going to be stuff coming out of his dad's archive. They weren't looking to kind of uh, uh, dig deep and put out all this unreleased material. And then, boom, we get this massive all things must pass set so it's kind of interesting that it would be <coughs> excuse me from george's side that we would get a thousand dollar box set you know in a wooden crate etc yeah i don't think you'll get that with most of the rest of his catalog i think all things must pass kind of warrants it uh, only because I'm of the the importance of that album and the fact that it was a triple album Although, who knows, they might do something really special for the concert for Bangladesh. But um, all the single albums that followed, I really can't see as much as I'd like to see a lot of outtakes, a lot of unreleased stuff. I but don't think... Uh, yeah. Continue, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to... 
yeah, I just don't see any huge lavish treatment being given to the rest. But, I, you know, I could be wrong. I do sometimes wonder, because when McCartney started doing his archival box sets with Ben on the Run, and we're talking 2010, is it possible that none of this other stuff, the Beatles or Lennon, would have happened if McCartney hadn't got the ball rolling? Or was it always in the back of their minds this was going to happen? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know either. I, I think they would have happened. I mean, that's the trend. It's happening for so many, uh, so many. I mean, I like, I'm a fan of the British progressive uh, band Caravan, but they just put out, I, I should look it up. I don't know how many discs box set. I mean, Caravan is getting <laughs> a 900 disc box set. It's something like, holy smoke. It right. was happening. It was going to happen. Um, you know, King Crimson's released numerous box sets in excess of 20 discs apiece. Um, they just put out a John Mayall box set, which I got, which has, uh, I think, just about every album he's done into the mid-70s. It's like um, several hundred discs. Um, so I probably would have happened anyway. I don't think McCartney was in any means a trendsetter there. McCartney's an interesting uh, example because you watch the progression on how the, his box sets grew. Yeah. It got more complicated, complicated in so much that uh, you no longer got 10 bonus tracks. Now you'd get 30 bonus tracks. Five of them you got to download. The others are pressed on seven inch vinyl, uh, you know, with all these different weird things that you got to collect and go searching for. Uh, with each box set, it seems to have gotten a little uh, more um, elaborate. A star band on the mixed band on the run look uh, puny, so, mm. you know the uh what was it the wings uh the wildlife red rose speedway set that was available sure. for about 15 minutes um you compare that to band on the run you know or what uh, paul did with wings over america you know you could see how the whole logic of the box box anthology is grown and grown it does scare me a little bit that we've now hit a thousand dollars this is like sports your team has now signed a player for $300 million. What's next? Hmm. A billion dollar contract? You know, so. This shows you that this is all a work in progress. I don't think that when McCartney started his box sets, he envisioned how each one was going to turn out and what no, he was putting no, them no. at all. And uh, definitely when you look back early on, and I was very disappointed with some of McCartney. Uh, the archival releases where you'd get seven bonus audio yeah. tracks like Wings at the Speed of Sound or the first McCartney album. And now, because of what we see on the Beatles box sets and certainly the Lennon, which is the, the most uh, uh, comprehensive you could possibly get for Plastic on a Band and Imagine, you've got demos for songs, you've got early takes of songs, you know, earlier mixes of songs. Mm -hmm. And it's... It, the sky's the limit with what you can do, especially the way that the Lennon camp is treating it right mm -hmm. now. I mean, I've said before that the only thing that, that you could ask for more would be to have every take of every song released. I don't think that's going to happen. But, um, you know, you look at Flaming Pie, you look at um, Red Rose Speedway, Flaming Pie has demos and early versions, and there may not be that big a difference between the two of some of the songs, but he puts those out for people that want to hear the evolution of these songs. That's another thing. Evolution mixes. 
that we've gotten on the the um, the Lennon box sets in particular. Mm-hmm. We got a taste of that in a way on the Beatles anthology. They right. put all those different versions of Strawberry Fields Forever. That was like an evolution mix right there. The yeah. demo, take one, take seven, take 26. You know, that's kind of like, in a way, like a precursor <laughs> to mm-hmm. uh, evolution mixes like what the, the Lennon camp has been doing. So it's so much more elaborate now. There's so many things that you can do that they probably weren't thinking about before. With McCartney, he was always putting out B-sides to singles, bonus tracks on CD singles, stuff that had already been released, but it's nice to have packaged together, you know, in one collection like this, especially if there's any new fans of his that want to collect this stuff and don't want to have to buy 45s or hunt them down, you know, all these rare songs. It's nice to have them in box sets. But then what matters more to me as someone who has all those songs anyway is to have unreleased stuff, alternate takes, demos we never heard before. And McCartney was kind of chintzy at that in the very beginning. And now things are really picking up and he's giving you so much more. Mm -hmm. So Uh, I just found not to change the subject, but just to, to get a little giggle. Caravan's box set is called. Who do you think we are? It's a 37 disc box set uh, signed by all surviving members of the band. Uh, so, I mean, there's an example of how the box set has really gone. Uh, more power to them, you know, 37 mm. CDs of Caravan. Uh, but anyway, what is um, um, something that bugs you about the uh, mega box set that's coming out today? Uh, for me, sometimes it's that you're paying for the redundancy of getting the album and the bonus tracks on CD and vinyl. Uh, I, I don't know how to find the balance there of where uh, maybe should there be two two box sets, two two editions, the CD edition with six discs or the you know vinyl edition, 10 LPs, or uh, what do you think about when you, in, in a lot of instances now, you're buying these large box sets and you're getting two mm. albums. You know what I'm saying? You're getting the vinyl, you're getting the CD. Is that a waste? And the Blu-ray usually has a, a high, high definition version of what you have on the regular CDs. Too. Yeah, that's true. I mean, do you, do, do, do you make three different packages? The Blu-ray box set, the vinyl box set, the CD box set, all contents exactly the same. It's just a configuration. Um, how do you feel that when you get a box set and you, you got a three LPs of stuff that are on two CDs in the same set? I mean, what are your thoughts on that? Um, I think in the Harris in the, the Harrison one among Beatles things is the only one that actually does that so far as I can recall. And I think what they probably were thinking is, you know, the, the collector who's going to want the Uber box is going to get this on vinyl and on CD anyway. So let's just give it to them both in one package instead of having them buy, you know, two or three packages. Of course, if all you wanted was the vinyl and the CD in the Blu-ray versions, um, you could buy all of those separately and would still be a lot cheaper than the wooden box. So we're also, uh, you know, the diff- the price differential there is really the, the box and the trinkets and the other books. I mean, I think it does also have a book that isn't in any of the other versions. So, you know, you want that if you were a collector of info. Right. 
Uh, so. I'm thinking, I'm probably thinking there's other bands that tend to do things like this. And I pulled mm. up here, I think like the recent band box set for their album Stage Fright, you get, uh, now I'm, I don't want to waste time here, but you get the album on vinyl and you're getting it on CD in the same box set. Plus you're getting a single, you know, I, you know, uh, that may have a couple of tracks that aren't on the vinyl LPs. You get a seven inch single rolling around in there. Uh, that sometimes I think is a little going over the top and it can be all simplified. Um, but uh, what are your thoughts, Ken? Well, since I do two podcasts with co-hosts that <laughs> have no problem, it seems, buying different variations of the same album in different formats. And, uh, you know, everyone has a right to buy whatever they, they want to. I, you know, with me, I keep it simple. I almost always listen to everything on CD. Not that I have anything against vinyl. And I think sometimes the fa some of these fans buy it just for the collectability to say they have it in every single version, you know. Um, I certainly wouldn't fault anyone if they said, well, I really prefer vinyl. I also want to have the CD as well, but most of the time I'll listen on vinyl. If, if that's their choice, that's fine. You know, um, as someone who never got involved with the collecting, the collecting side of all this stuff and only cared about the music mainly, I'm fine with just buying everything on CD. Mm -hmm. um, but I think it's great to have so many options. You know, you okay. talk about padding things. What I didn't understand, this is, this will go in another direction, but like um, the mono Beatles stuff. I mean, why do you have to have the mono Sgt. Pepper in the Sgt. Pepper box set? I think that the people who follow the mono stuff probably already has Sgt. Pepper and mono anyway, vinyl or on CD or bought the, bought the mono box set on CD or on vinyl, but to me, that kind of bothers me because, really? yeah, I, I don't I mean, see but the you're need for that. It, oh, you mean a stereo and the mono combined in some sort of one, single no, package? Not, no, no, well, yeah, the mono version and the new remix as well. You know, I didn't see the purpose of you have to have the mono too. I don't know. Well, in the case of Sgt. Pepper and definitely White Album, you're talking about differences in the mix. Oh, I know. Uh, right? Uh, I, I think I raised this question once before about do, do, do we really need somebody else's 21st century mix of the album? Mm. It's nice, you know, but, you know, it's, you know, and, uh, it's, it's tampering with the original. But, uh, I mean, this is the kind of thing you could continually go around and around. We didn't even get into things like, and this hasn't happened in the case of the Beatles, uh, or solo stuff, but when you got box sets that come with all kinds of weird trinkets and doodads, is that going over the top? Uh, Pink Floyd's box sets that come with marbles and scarves. Uh, so, you know, and, uh, you know, some of the beaten McCartney stuff, you know, you get photos uh, and then three other poster-sized postcards and mm -hmm. that stuff is a little going over uh, on the physical aspect of things, but having the mono mix and a stereo mix, whether it's the original or a remix. I mean, that I can understand when that's done, unless the music is no, no, I can understand that. No, I just think that the people who really care about the mono mix have it already. Well, I, I think actually uh, the argument that I would make is not that the mono mix shouldn't have been in there, 
but that the original stereo mix should have been in there too, so that you would have had, you know, in that Sgt. Pepper box, you would have had the original stereo mix, the original mono mix, and the remix. It would have all been together. And uh, granted, most people would have had the original stereo and mono if they're into those differences. Mm. Um, but I, but I see how it might seem eccentric to have the original mono and the remix. Um, but it seems to me that, that what would make that less eccentric is to also throw in the original stereo. I mean, on the Blu-ray, you know, just put it on the Blu-ray in a high definition transfer, mm. you know, because you were already getting the, uh, the remix on there and, um, you know, there's plenty of room on a Blu-ray. It's probably fine for, for people who are new Beatle fans that want to discover all the mixes to have the mono and the new remix stereo in there and the old you know, original stereo as well. I mean, that could work, I suppose, in that regards. But to me, mono is the, is the kind of thing where a certain select type of Beatle fan who really studies it already has it, you know? They know it pretty well. So I didn't, I just didn't see the purpose of putting that in there, but that's yeah. me. To me, a lot of these remixes, um, <clears throat> they're the remixes uh, for, you know, Pepper, White Album, Abbey Road, and now All Things Must Pass are being billed as the main show. And we're also giving you a bunch of bonus outtakes, but for me, in the Harrison set, um, which I've heard, um, the remix is the tail wagging the dog. To me, the two discs of demos are the main show, and the outtakes after that is, you know, really, really interesting. The remix is interesting and good and makes it sound you know warmer but it is not a radical remix i mean if you think you're going to be getting a despectorized all things must pass it's not going to happen um as i think uh, uh danny said in in some one of the interviews that he did you know we sort of found or maybe it was paul hicks we found when we started taking off the reverb and taking off all this stuff it ended up sounding like a demo mm. Mm. so um you know, they're, they're, they did stuff, you know, you listen, you AB those discs and you hear bits that aren't there that were in the original or you hear some places where there's less reverb. But, um, you know, if you're just listening very casually, you know, just have it on, um, you wouldn't necessarily know that it's the remix rather than the original, you know, until you compare them side by side. So it's, it's just kind of funny that in all these things where there's a remix, I mean, to me, it's, it's not the remix that's the main thing. It's interesting and sometimes it's great. Um, I, I like the idea that the original mixes will probably always be there because those are the original mixes. But I don't get all like, you know, people get really upset about your tampering with history. You're not really tampering with history. You're you're making this a little bit louder and that a little bit softer, and you may be switching sides in the stereo. Or, you know, it's it's these are not huge things, and the original is always available if that's what you want to hear. 
Mm. But those two discs of demos, you know, those weren't there before. You know, that's that's the main thing for me. And it's, you know, it's incredible stuff. With all these box sets, all the all the outtakes and demos are far more important than the remixes. It's always been like that. That's what I go to first. But Have I think done, I'm sorry, yeah. Ken. I'm Mr. Interruptor. That's all right. That's all right. Alan, have you compared? I did it again. Uh, have you compared um, this remix of All Things Must Pass with George's one from 2000? Um, well, the one he did in 2000 is like a totally different thing. You know, it, it's like that is a radical remix. And I think in 2000, he also replaced stuff. Like he left the acoustic guitars, but replaced other guitars with, you know, new tracks and, and that kind of thing. This isn't that. <clears throat> this is, you know, the material that you know and love in pretty much the way you know it and love it. Um, but, you know, with a bit more clarity, uh, mm -hmm. which is a good thing, you know. And, and let's face it, it's, this is not just a remix for the sake of the modern audience, as it were. Um, Harrison himself has said many times over the years, you know, I, I kind of think Phil overdid it. I think there's like too much overdubbing. I think there's too much of this and that. And, you know, I think that they, they took that down a bit, but, um, but not that much, you know? And, and what I think, you know, what I'm, I'm coming around to thinking um, is that in a way, you know, for people who want this album uh, you know, to be despectorized. They want a, you know, a clean, you know, more low key, all things must pass. Well, okay, now you've got two discs of demos. Every single song from the album, not counting the jams, of course, are in the demos. And in fact, there are only, I think, 18 songs on the album, not counting the jams. And there are 30 songs on the two discs of demos plus there are some other outtakes on disc five that you know weren't on the demos and weren't on the album so you're getting a whole lot of stuff and and if you want your alternative all things must pass play the demo disc mm -hmm. you know? i think in particular with all things must pass they're emphasizing the remix because of the backlash over the years of phil Spector and his production and people thinking that he overdid it you know, and um, so they're using that, I think, <laughs> to their advantage. And also being aware, like you said, Alan, that George expressed this himself, that there was a little bit too much reverb. I'd be curious to find out, because um, I've also heard, and I don't know if it's true or not, that so much of that, that reverb was already baked in to the tracks and you can't really remove it. I'm not quite sure about that. And I'm not sure with, the, with today's technology what you can do. I'm sure there's so many advances that have been made that you can remove certain things that you couldn't do before. But, um, you know, this, in a way, all these remixes, I know there are people who are purists and in many ways I'm that way, but I've always said, as long as the original mixes remain in print, it's not rewriting history. It's just another way of listening to it. You know, and like you said, if it brings more clarity, I'm all for that. Yeah. If you hear more instrumentation, if, if there are times when you felt that George's vocals were buried, um, which I do find in a few songs on All Things Must Pass, where, you know, in the mix with other vocalists, like um, Awaiting on You All at times, you know, I'd love to hear his vocals boosted up a little bit. Mm -hmm. 
but um, yeah, those are my feelings about that. Um, here's a totally different topic in Ridge. <laughs> um, okay, so if you're Paul McCartney or Yoko Ono or you know the Beatles corporately, um, and you're putting out a series of these discs, and you know at some point you're putting out a series. Um, why not have uniform size boxes? <laughs> I mean, Paul was doing just great until uh, the wings, wings over Europe and wildlife and, and Red Rose Speedway. And that box suddenly got to be too big to put on the shelf where I put all the other McCartney ones. And then Flaming Pie, the big box, you know, which comes with Linda's prints and things like that is, you know, because Linda's prints are large format, the box is humongous. I don't have a shelf that that fits on. I, I keep that on top of a bureau, which isn't, you know, ideally, you know, <laughs> that means that it's to occupy that space forever. Yeah. You know, I mean, the suitcase, okay, the suitcase is someplace else in another room and it's almost more or less partly in storage, partly on display, like a, like a, 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 a baseball trinket or something, you know, in fact, it's in the room where I've got some autographed baseballs. So, um, you know, uh, but, but for the main part of the discography, I, I, I kind of think that if you're going to be putting out album after album and you know, you're going to do it, come up with some uniform format so that people can put it on their shelves and have them all together yep. chronologically. And it looks much nicer. There's, yeah, like I, I completely agree. You got to go to the to the uh, to the cupboard where the cereal is to get your copy of uh, Wings Over America, because you can't keep it with the uh, CDs and everything like that. Um, he was doing that. He has done that with the smaller single and double disc editions of uh, uh, his re uh, reissues, McCartney, where they all go on the shelf and they all kind of at least look. Uh, the same, but the size is a big problem, yeah. Yeah, the last two have been different sizes. Although in the case of, excuse me, um, Wildlife, Red Rose Speedway and, and Wings Over Europe, you could take the contents of that box out and shelve them with the others, but then you have to keep the big sort of, uh, you know, rainbow colored psychedelic box, you know, elsewhere empty uh, on right. a high shelf. It's, you know. Come on, I realize this is a, a very picky room point, but you know, you're buying you're buying a lot oh, of you're right. yeah. them together. <laughs> anyway, where we're gonna where I'm gonna put George's wooden box, I, I have no idea. Have you got a space yet? I uh, actually no, no, that's gonna be a major issue. The suitcase itself was a major issue issue the Egypt station suitcase which actually I think I got uh right around the time I fell and destroyed my knee in 29 could it have been 2019 yeah yeah I think it came around the same time so it sort of got uh the box that it's came packaged in I think has sort of been absorbed into being a coffee table now mm -hmm. um uh so George's box can be a coffee. Table. I don't know mm -hmm. what I'm going to do when that happens because space is an issue. But anyway, that without freaking me out, let's change the subject. Um, <laughs> you could probably tell I have no storage space where I live. So yeah, I want to know <laughs> what's in the, that white box right there. I want to know what's in there. 
Oh, that's all just notes from the past of other shows okay. I've done. But all yeah. my box sets are stacked on top of each other horizontally. I have th- these shelves behind me are all I got. That's it. <laughs> wow. That's it. Well, not counting my vinyl, but that's in another place altogether. So my wife's home. I'm this close to being thrown into the garage with everything. So okay. <laughs> all right. <laughs> uh, but anyway, yeah. So box sets. I don't know if you want to have any more additional points you would like to make, things you would like to get in your next box set. Uh, I just think that uh, they're just getting better and better. Yeah. You know, um, I love, uh, I didn't bring up elements mixes, which I think I I love listening to, like just the strings for Imagine or what they did on the Abbey Road box set with um, Golden Slumbers, Carry That Weight, just hearing the orchestration. I love stuff like that. Yeah. And I think it opens up the doors for certain albums where you may not have had many takes of songs. What else can you do? You know, like I was thinking about the first McCartney album, since so much of it was just plugged into a four track. And then later on, he did more in a professional studio at Morgan Studios and was EMI as well. Um, But how much can you do with those early recordings that McCartney made? other than give you isolated tracks if he didn't do more than one take mm-hmm. you know something like that how can you play with something like that take a look at what they did with plastic on all band at least that was done in a professional studio so you had an eight track there to work with you could do so many different things with it with very little instrumentation but um yeah i think that uh in the case of mccartney he wasn't looking at any of this stuff before and probably seeing how things have developed more and more on these box sets, he knows that they should be far more elaborate than what he did in the past. Right. You know, when I was at the Times, whenever I had a, a Beatles thing to write about, um, meaning like the BBC sets or the anthology or, or whatever, um, I pretty much um, always suggested, you know, other stuff that they should be putting out, you know, different, different outtakes and, you know, just based on stuff that was out on the bootleg market that I knew about, you know, and, and that I thought would be that people would love to hear. Um, and at one point, at one point, my wife said to me, you know, you, do you realize that it seems to be impossible for you to write about the Beatles without telling them what they should do? Um, <laughs> you know, now I'm much more satisfied with what they're doing. I mean, you know, and not absolutely every point, you know, there's always, always things that, you know, you imagine differently or could have been better this way or that way. But, but I wouldn't be writing those, those pieces anymore because um, they really are beginning to put things out in an organized archival way. And, uh, and I think it's getting better and better. And uh, I, I hope they continue sort of moving in that direction so that when we uh, do finally get the Let It Be box, we get all the Nagra tapes, all the, all the uh, you know, uh, the, the studio, good mixes of all the studio stuff, uh, you know, when, once they went to Apple. Um, there, there's an awful lot they can do, you know, even if they just want to keep up with the bootleg market because so much of that stuff is out. You know, one more thing I want to bring up here, and I think I've brought this up before, is that um, 
I'm wondering when Paul is done with his archival releases and hopefully he'll live long enough for everything to come out the way he wants for it to be, will that be it? Or will they redo it again? Because you can see some of the missed opportunities now mm -hmm. that he didn't do on the earlier box sets. Just think about how many demos there must be for songs that we haven't heard yet that could have gone on these box sets. Imagine if there were demos for every song on Ram. You know, <laughs> you know, uh, <laughs> who wouldn't want that? So are we going to go all the way back and start again with Ben on the run when, when he's done with everything? It, that could happen. Could happen. It should. I, ha I have a feeling it won't be in our lifetime, though. And I plan on living a very, very, very long time, mm. you know. Well, but, you got you to gotta keep the Beatle machine going. Yeah, no something will what. keep it going. Something <laughs> will keep it going. Mm. So I guess that puts a wrap on our uh, look at box sets uh, with uh, the Old Things Must Pass set coming soon. Um, before we give everyone our contact information, uh, while we were talking, it occurred to me uh, something that you didn't mention in the news, Ken, early on, which I'm not sure if you even know about it, um, mm. that the McCartney 3 Imagined album is uh, going to be available on cassette. Did you see that? Okay. It is no, now I knew for sale. Okay. Neon pink, hot pink cassette, uh, which you can get on Paul's website. So, and yes, I got it. Anyway, so uh, let's... Go around the horn, start up here in my upper left-hand corner. I don't know about yours. Ken, wrap it up. Okay, if you want to get in touch with me by email, it's everylittlething at att.net. You can friend me on Facebook at Ken Michaels. Be sure to look at my website as much as you can, kenmichaelsradio.com with loads of audio interviews on there and weekly Beatles trivia as well with lots of great prizes that you can win by the way i'm giving folks the chance to win uh this new album by jonathan pushkar who is a power pop guy he's on gem records this is his second album it's got 11 recordings on it including a cover version of junior's farm and he's got jeff Britton to play drums right. on it mm -hmm. he's on a, a few tracks on this new album as well whoever who wins this particular week um, in the Beatles trivia uh, will automatically win that in addition to the prize of their choice. So go to the Beatles trivia and games page at kenmichaelsradio.com. Don't forget, I have my other uh, podcast show, Talk More Talk, a solo Beatles video cast. The next show we'll be doing, because we're taking off the July 4th weekend, it's going to be uh, Monday night, July the 12th. And we're going to be reviewing Paul's Pipes of Peace album for that. Um, and I do have my own YouTube channel now, Ken Michaels Radio. And we just did a, a video not long ago with Alan here, which is in my top three most viewed <laughs> videos. You know, we talk about uh, the Beatles creative peak and uh, he talks a bit about the McCartney legacy series. And uh, you can see that you can see an interview I did with, with Joe Mayo from Talk More Talk and with uh, Kid O'Toole as well. Um, she does a number nine dream show on George Harrison. And um, what else? Uh, We've been David, talking about having me on. Yes, well, yeah, we I'm, waiting, do that. I'm waiting for you. 
Oh, you're waiting gotta, for me. Oh, yeah. okay. I said anytime. <laughs> okay. Just email me. We'll work right. it out. And I also did okay. an interview, by the way, with David Courtney, who is a producer, songwriter, recording artist, who's worked a lot with Leo Sayer. He's best known for having co-written Long Tall Glasses, I Can Dance. Yeah. And uh, the show must go on, the Three Dog Night song, not the Queen song. But he worked with, um, with Paul McCartney on Roger Daltrey's One of the Boys album because he produced the song Giddy, which was originally wrote all night from the Ram sessions that Paul did with Denny Sywell. Um, so David was part of that. And Paul and Linda turned up for an Adam Faith album which uh, for which they did background vocals for a song and David Courtney produced that. So we talk about that and his songwriting craft and how the Beatles influenced him as a songwriter. So that's at Ken Michaels Radio. That's the name of my YouTube channel. Please subscribe to that. And I think that's it. Alan, you, your turn. Okay, easiest way to find me is on Facebook, um, either at Alan Cozen or Alan Cozen Remixed. And you can write to all of us um, at things we said today, radio show at gmail.com. That's things we said today, radio show at gmail.com. We have a Twitter feed, which is at things we said fab. Um, and we have two Facebook pages, things we said today and things we said today, Beatles radio fans. Shows get posted on. Um, both of those, and also on YouTube and Podbean and uh, iTunes. Um, we haven't figured out yet what happens with video versions on iTunes, but we're doing an audio version too. So one way or another, it'll be on mm. iTunes. Um, so over to you, Darren. I'm totally confused with all this stuff, folks. So <laughs> um, anyway, I have no idea what's going on, but I can tell you this, you could find me on Facebook, I have two pages, Darren DeVivo, shoot me a friend request, or go to Darren DeVivo, WFEVDJ, Beatles podcaster, writer, and click follow or like, whatever is the uh, button name that Facebook is using today. Uh, you can send me an email, Darren DeVivo at WFEV.org, and check me out on the radio uh, Monday through Thursday nights at 10 p.m., Saturday afternoons, 1 to 4 p.m. on WFUV 90.7 FM in New York. Uh, we have an HD2 channel, too. Uh, or you could stream us at WFUV.org uh, or get our app and listen there. So, for Ken, for Alan, have a great 4th of July holiday weekend. Make it safe. And we will see you next time on Things We Said Today. Today.